Yeah, this this actually, you know, if memory serves. This is not your your debut on the podcast. You uh, you made a brief cameo in Madrid. A regrettable debut. Oh no, no, that was good. It was good. So, but that was that was your first cap. This is like your first start. Sure. This is a you, you got on for like a twenty minute run. You know. Was it on for twenty minutes? No. Well, I'm, I'm saying it's analogous to that. to that. You know, like you came on in a garbage time of a, a three no. I probably won't listen to this one either because I just can't can't stand the sound of my voice. <laughs> that flatters it's not, me. It's not. It's nothing to do with the quality of the of quality service. It has to do with me and my voice. No, it's uh, it's it's something that we all kind of grapple with. Um, something I've gotten used to. But yeah, that's a, it's always a jarring experience. Do I really mm. fucking sound like that? Um, but yes, I'm I'm joined by the esteemed Chris Keller, the co-owner, the proprietor of, for my money, the greatest bar in New York City. Thank you, thank banter. you, Tom. Uh, all listeners will know that you know banter is something of a, an unofficial home base for this podcast. We've recorded a bunch here. Uh, you know, I've certainly been coming here. It's a home base for me, uh, even before this this podcast. I think I've been coming here since. I want to say 2013. So the bar was still kind of in its infancy then. For sure. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I, w- I used to live in Bed-Stuy, so I just like walked down here to Williamsburg. But uh, let's talk about that. Like, let's go a little further back. You, you grew up in Germany. Is that right? You were I born did. and raised I, there? I grew up in the States and in Germany until uh, I was about 10. Moved back and forth as a kid. What, what did your parents do? What was uh, My father was here in the States. He was trying to get a, a tannery business started. Uh, which had failed, and he stayed in the states while my mom and and me and my brother moved back to Germany. Are they I, both? Are they both German? Uh, they were both German. Yeah, yeah the yeah, whole yeah. family's German. Uh, and at the time, it was moving back and forth and staying with my grand grandparents for the uh, for the stability while my dad tried to establish reestablish in the states. Is the the soccer obsession the lifelong soccer obsession? Did it start in Germany? Is that is that where the introduction occurred? Yes, but no. I mean, soccer was just a, a way of life in Germany. But I, as a kid, I was definitely more of a tennis fan. That's for sure. Oh, really? And Boris Becker? Oh, Boris Becker. We had, I mean, this is 80s. Uh, we got Steffi Graf, Boris yeah. Becker, Wimbledon. Uh, uh, that was way more of my passion. Soccer was on the side and only came up every few years, you know, for, for World Cups and European Cups, where it was just everywhere. Dad wasn't All a big fan or... Uh, he he was, but he wasn't actually in our lives very often when I was sure. a kid. And uh, but through him, I mean, I did go to go to games. He was a Kaiserslautern fan. I was a Kaiserslautern fan through him. Uh, even though I lived in the north of Germany, where which is closer to Dortmund, uh, which was a team and has a team now. But at the time, it's, uh, it's it was Paderborn. It didn't have a team, mm. so it wasn't even big in the city really. Yeah. When did you? So when did you? set up shop here in the U.S. permanently? When were you here for good? That was 1988 is where I, where I definitely moved, and we spent, we, that was where we had it. We had a house here, and then we stayed here. Were you in New York? Is that No, no, that was in western Massachusetts, North Adams. Okay, cool. Uh, how old were you? Ten years old. Ten years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're ten years old. Soccer is still, or excuse me, tennis is your, your first love. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, when, when did the, the big spark, come for, for soccer when did you really just fall in love with this oh, game I, I definitely after i had left and then you go and then we go back every year it just becomes amplified you know we used to go back and when when i was in you know 11 12 those years we go back as and we're going in the summer that's world cup time yeah that's that's where it's just the excitement is even different level and you know also leaving 
I mean, also when I came to the States, I was a better soccer player than most right. kids, even though that wasn't my first sport. And, you know, you just, you, you tend to go where, where you, you're talented, you know? And yeah. Yeah. The no. reinforcement, the reinforcement, I think of, of like skills at that age, you know, just made me more soccer, more aware. Then going back to Germany world cup, it just got reinforced. And then it came with identity 1990 Germany wins the world cup 92. They're in the finals European cup. Uh, just goes on and on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, for so many of us, the, the World Cup is obviously just like a formative experience in mm. our, like, footballing evolution. And I would have to imagine that's, like, doubly true to be, you know, a young, impressionable kid being in this soccer-crazed country like Germany while it's going on, while the team is, you know, advancing all the way to the final, going all the way. Like, yeah. It just, it'd be easy to get swept on it. Because you hear about, like, that's that's the a recurring story for, you know, casual soccer fans in America, people who, you know, just suddenly get swept up in it. It's the World Cup. That mm. is kind of like the big draw. Yeah. yeah. I think what also helps is when, when I moved to the States is I, I really was off. I didn't I, – we had a neighbor who tried to get, get us, me and my brother, to play baseball, and that was just not happening. Non-starter. Really. <laughs> just – it was such an awful game. I sucked so bad at it. It wasn't yeah. even funny. Um, football was the same. I didn't understand it. So, you know, soccer became – became reinforced like soccer is i put basketball was a big thing too but sure but soccer on the side was always like in an alternative universe banter is like a big baseball bar somewhere yeah. oh, yeah. on, on earth oh, too sure. <laughs> on earth too that's what's going on right now um well let's fast forward so banter you in uh the the absent uh connor carolan you guys started this in in 2011 and before that, you guys worked at a nearby bar, still open, Iona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys were still both bartenders. Still showing football early in the mornings and still a great bar, one of the best in the city. How long did you two uh, work there together? Do you remember? <sighs> worked together since 2007, I think. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough question. I, now, now, I hadn't really thought about it. But 2007... I started to do the early morning soccer games just as a little weekend gig. My sure. son had just been born. I was used to going to games at Iona, and honestly, when once my son was born, it wasn't really, really viable to go there in the morning and sure. start drinking and waste a newborn. Day. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so to to work there was a good excuse just to like hang out and watch the games and watch it with a few people. You, like, well, I'm curious what what the turnout for those matches would have been like in 2007 at Iona. I mean, for the big matches, it probably got fairly packed. You, but. you, you have to remember, you, they couldn't, you couldn't watch every game yes. live in 2007. Um, they, they, they actually started showing games much earlier, and that, that, that's another kudos to them. You know, when, when there really wasn't many bars at all in the city, they, they kind of were, were showing whatever they could uh, and, and paid a lot for packages at that time to show it. Um, you know, there were... A big game would pack the bar out, but but Iona is also a bit smaller, so it would feel it would feel packed. But it, you know, you see, for a really big game, you get one of the Manchester United Arsenal game. I think you'd get sixty people or so, 60, yeah. 70, and that would you couldn't move in there for you, sure. Used to be a big game, Manchester United yes. Arsenal, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you move to New York? Uh, Nineteen ninety-five. Okay, so I'm, I am curious about that stretch. Nineteen ninety-five to. 2011, when Banter opens its doors, um, you know the the concept of a soccer-centric bar like the one that you run here. Mm-hmm. It's it had to have been 
fairly foreign, for lack of a better word. I mean, I, I can't imagine that there were that many. I know of Nevada Smiths that opened in the, the early 90s, and that's kind of this progenitor for, for all of these bars that we see now. But, like, just watching a game, I think that's what people fail to grasp. It's like, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, broadcasting options were pretty scarce. Yeah. You know, yeah. this century. I mean, you don't even have to go all the way back to the 90s. Like, there was a time in, when I was in college, I remember ESPN had like one Premier League match a week. It was like the, the game of the week, but we'd be rigging up illegal streams. And so I feel like, you know, in that era, in that stretch, you know, places like Nevada Smith's, Iona, it was probably just like, you know, a pra- one of the only outlets for these people to actually yeah. get coverage, you know, to actually watch their teams. And Yeah, when 90, 90s, I remember... I remember when I came to the city, there, there was, I mean, there was one place that was Nevada Smith that was a, it, they, they build themselves as a soccer bar. And, you know, he had MLS starting that year. So MLS was taking off a little bit and some, some places would show it. They wouldn't call themselves soccer bars, that's for sure. And then, then you had a lot, then you had a handful of Irish bars in Manhattan and Queens that would definitely show, be showing games. Yeah. Um, I mean, but. But Nevada Smiths, it started started to become known as the place to start watching. They would get get all the rights to every single game, all the pay-per-view. You'd have to pay for most of the games. Yeah, I mean, that's what blows um, my mind. I, I hear these stories about the the early days of Nevada Smiths, and you know they would have to charge people at the door mm-hmm. to pay this, like, Irish broadcaster. You know, they would... Yeah, they would, Satanta. Satanta, yes. going back a bit, but I, I don't remember exactly. I think you'd pay $20 at that time. was seemed pretty steep, but you'd pay them. I don't think the bar would get any any of the the proceeds and um, just a radically different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just yeah, and I, I I'm pretty sure that was for the whole morning, but I, I honestly I can't remember. I I mean I've also I I remember reading something about Nevada Smiths how like the guy the 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 one who used to, who really made it into this this soccer viewing hub uh, who now runs the the football factory. Mm-hmm. You know he would record the matches and play them on TV over the course of the week, and people would come in and like watch yeah. it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, no, be, I, you know, I this is pre watch replays, so you wouldn't see everything live. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, you couldn't. I mean, that that just that was just the reality of it. A lot of a lot of things in the '90s was. God, I don't remember the exact specifics or timing of anything, but it was was the case that maybe you get one. You started to get one match a week. I don't even remember if that was live or not. Um, and that that was Fox Sports World would show the one game a week. Yeah. Uh, and then you get get more and more. This the likes of Satanta was becoming more. Yeah. So okay, back to Iona. You and you and Connor are working there. Um, when does when did the conversation start? to maybe go into business together to, to start your own bar? Uh, that had started, I had had some, some uh, savings from, from my work, and uh, I was in talks with uh, another, another friend who uh, was interested in opening a bar in, in Jersey and making it open near the new Red Bull Stadium that was going to open up. Um, and that... The, the idea was that was going to be the bar right ne- near the stadium, right near the, the uh, hub. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how far we were along. I think we were looking at spots to maybe, to maybe invest in yeah. and open up. And working at Iona at the same time, talking to, to Victor from Iona, uh, who's one of the owners there, and Connor, they'd already been discussing a project. And then I, I mentioned this, and they, they asked if I had any interest in, in 
doing something with them. Yeah. Was so I know that when you guys started. Uh, by the way, this used to be a butcher shop, right? Is mm-hmm. that that? Yeah. It's just a beautiful building. If you're listening and you haven't been to Banter, I. I think most of my uh, audience is probably uh, one of your regulars, I'm guessing. But uh, if you're one of the rare listeners who hasn't been to Bandra, you should come here. It's a beautiful place. Big windows, great lighting. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have looked anything like this. It was, yeah. all, was all bricked up. Uh, Connor told me he had an affinity for this place. He yeah, really you know, he, he had walked by it. I, I mean, we after we had decided we'd look for something together, I... The idea of doing something in Jersey was was sounding less and less appealing to me. Thank God you didn't um, open in New Jersey. Oh my God, Chris, <laughs> what would I do? My life um, would be different. But, but yeah, the, the, this came after we were talk, in talks, and we, we had a, another friend in San Francisco, who uh, who was going to help out a little bit. It, this space became available here at 132 Havemeyer. Um, the building is an old brick building, beautiful. Um, turn of the century five-story building uh, the first floor is just huge you know old factory space yeah um very high ceilings uh at the time it's all bricked up uh and i mean connor kind of loves loved the building for sure and had seen at one point that they were refurbishing the whole thing no it's it's renovating the whole building and then saw that this space would be available yeah no it's a holy place for sure um certainly for me uh so how much I'm, I've been curious about this. I remember I think Connor told me this once upon a time that the bar started. This would predate my arrival in New York. I started coming here in 2013, as I said. Mm-hmm. But it started as more of I mean, soccer was always in the equation, but it was more of a general sports bar at the outset, right? No, it, in in fact, at, at on the outset, it was uh, the idea was not to be a sports bar at all. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I mean, soccer. What? Uh, let's. let's divide the two during the mornings and the day it was always part of the plan to have soccer european soccer on and and show that but at night the idea was definitely televisions are off we're not a sports bar but once we started you know once people started seeing that we we were showing soccer and we got known for that fairly quickly we also started getting pigeonholed as a sports bar um and that became became very difficult to to distance ourselves from that it's cool that it kind of happened, that it came about organically, it sounded mm. like. You know, you guys, you, you had every intention to, to show these matches. You guys both are huge football fans, obviously. But, like, it sounds like that's, that's just what the community responded to, maybe the most strongly, you know? Yeah, by far the most strongly, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's almost like they were waiting for a place like yeah. this, right? And the idea was we, we'd also known making this like i said i still shows games still a great bar and still yeah opening up early every morning um but we were finding that that it was growing that there was definitely room for for more and maybe a little more even more focus so when did you i mean was there like a demarcation point when you just went we're all in on soccer this is that's who we are we're going to just fully lean in on that i mean can't imagine the the walls were always adorned with all these scarves maybe or? no no yeah that that I, that did happen a bit organically as well. I mean, we we didn't we didn't ever said woke up one day and and said, okay, we're 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 just a soccer bar, and we we still hope we're we're not because, you know, un- until people start really coming out for the MLS, you know, <laughs> the the nights can be a little bit slow if you're just a soccer bar. But um, yeah, but the uh, I, I think it did just happen organically. You know, the the amount of people coming out. 
every morning, every afternoon for some of these European games. But did you and Connor, is that, did you, did you two bond over soccer? I mean, was that like, we did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, we didn't work, you know, I I said maybe we started 2007, uh, but we didn't work that many shifts together. I, I, I only started, uh, I'd known Connor before that from just watching games. We, we went to Iona. We, we, we had seen each other, um, met each other in the city for games as well for champions league games and we were both both uh, liverpool fans which didn't didn't hurt either at the time you know how did you become a liverpool fan by the way when when i i would say i was never a fan of any premier league team until until 2002 and then when i decided like oh i'm a liverpool fan because you just couldn't watch enough games yeah I, I, to me that was just there was there wasn't a point I would follow any team that had a German on them. Klinsmann in the 90s, sure. Tottenham. I love that team. Um, uh, I also I quite like the, the 90s, the late 90s Chelsea team. That was fun to watch. Great, great players. But the Liverpool matches were probably on a little but, more frequently. But, but Liverpool, I would say 98 is when, when you start taking notice. You have Fowler, you have, you have uh, Michael Owen, and, and then they had, they had a German, Karl-Heinz Riedel, which yeah. didn't, didn't hurt. And then, Checked all the boxes. Yeah, then. and then you just started to watch more of those games, get into the team more, a little bit of the history. And then later, I mean, 2002, uh, you know, they'll call it the quadruple, but yet they won the, the UEFA, UEFA Cup that year. Uh, they won FA Cup. They won the old, the old Carlinger League Cup. Um, and they had three Germans on the team. Yeah, right. That, that, didn't, that definitely... That's helped, a prerequisite. That helped make it for me that I, I was just like, oh, I, I really love Does Liverpool team. Have, a, have a German on its squad right now? I don't think they do, do they? No, no. Emery Chan was, uh, was the last. He was the last one, yeah. Um, no, Carius. Well, Matip, Matip is, is German, but. Right. Yeah. Who, does he, yeah. who is his national team? He doesn't play for the German national team, does uh, he? He's since, uh, he's since retired from international football, even though I think he's still only 28. But... Um, Oh, I don't remember. You know, it's Ethiopia. funny. I've been thinking more about you. You mentioned Michael Owen. I've spoken to a number of the the Liverpool fans who frequent this bar, yeah. uh, and it's striking how I don't think I don't think um, his legacy is held in high enough regard in a way. I think he was just a, a very influential player, even if he wasn't maybe the most decorated or most accomplished. Like I think that he, for a generation of fans, um, trying to think of a good sporting comp a good uh, analog for him in america but like you do come across these athletes who you know just their playing style their demeanor the way they they carry yeah. themselves they do strike a chord with the fans and i've spoken to a number like joey and, and some of the guys who frequent here and they all cite michael owen as kind of like the the impetus for their their liverpool fandom it's interesting to me well he, he was quick he was young he i mean he made made a big splash at, at for England, you know, he, he had a lot of things going for him at the time, and he was scoring some important goals for Liverpool. So, so, so 2011 it starts. Um, you know, this is a a brutal, unforgiving market, New York City. Um, sure. Were there were there some moments of anxiety that first year? I think any new business is a is a huge. Anxiety. I mean, this is great. It's like it a takes, graveyard t- of new businesses around here, and you yeah. guys have endured in a yeah. way. Like you, you see all these fairly successful or seemingly successful places um, that are shuttering their doors. And, and well, yet, I think we hit it when, when we thought the neighborhood was still on the way up Yeah, in, in a different way. 
and it, we're, now we're talking specifically about this neighborhood, but it's, it's just more difficult in a neighborhood like this where you're paying almost Manhattan rent and you don't have the crowds of Manhattan. Right. But you do now. Uh, yeah, we do. I, I mean, mean become, Premier League season for sure. That, that's for sure. Um, when was, so, you know, you go through some, some early growing pains. That's understandable. Um, if, if you could pinpoint one moment when you knew, to quote Mary Tyler Moore, you're going to make it after all. Yeah, I mean, when, was, there, was there a year, was it, was it maybe 2014, I guess the first World Cup in your operation uh, after you guys opened? Is that when you guys said, you know, we, we have something here, we have a, a following? Uh, I, I, that we definitely knew earlier. I mean, it took a while to develop. It didn't, didn't, we, we didn't get the biggest crowds right away, but we definitely, we knew already from that first uh, European Cup, that 2012. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. That we were we were opening up for some. I don't remember which teams were specifically, but some some maybe second tier European teams, and people were coming out to watch. Yeah. Uh, and and here during the week during the summer, you know, that that 7:30 in the morning, during a weekday, you, you definitely wouldn't get that from for Premier League team during the week. Yeah. Uh, in the regular season. But. I mean, it is, it is interesting that you, I mean, even if, if you, you always had designs on um, catering to soccer fans to a certain degree, it's interesting that, like, um, you guys kind of did essentially respond to the market. I mean, it, like, that, that's the soccer community clearly hungry <laughs> some, for a refuge of, like this. Some, like, they some kind of that of, was pig-headedness, though. I mean, like, it, I don't think... Anybody could just do. You have to actually like watching the sport. Because, yeah, of course. Because you're gonna be you're gonna be here alone some mornings, especially for for some obscure games or, you know, where it's just not gonna be worth somebody's time. But yeah, for me, I I don't mind being here opening up and right, watching the exactly, game. Exactly. No, if, I mean if I'm here alone, I don't mind. At least I'm watching the game or well, something. And and that's what I would think. Like I I think that you see a bar like this. You know, I'm a I'm a diehard soccer mm-hmm. fan. All of my friends are too. You know, you'd imagine that like that would have been a central part of the inspiration. We love soccer. We love watching soccer. We need a place to watch soccer. Let's start a bar, you mm. know? And obviously it's far more multifaceted than that. It's not yeah. just, that's not just the singular reason you can't go. I mean, but, uh, you know, I think that you're exactly right. I think that once you, if you don't harbor that passion and I've been to certain like soccer centric bars, uh, where it's clear that they're just sort of like grafting that theme over the bar itself. They yeah, don't or going feel through the motions. Way. I've seen some some new bars come up and say, "Oh, all of a sudden we're showing Premier League," and you, you could tell they're not that into it. Yeah, yeah. They I see mean, it as a little opportunity, but but that good for them. But you know, you do have to want to watch it. Yeah, I mean, like, a, met- a metal bar would never like hire a guy who's like obsessed with boy bands and like pop music <laughs> right like i mean you gotta you gotta look the part i think so yeah uh no totally um i one thing that i'm fascinated about i i, I look at this bar and I, probably many others that that i don't frequent but like it seems it strikes me as a like a touchstone for the growth of soccer in america too 2011 i feel like that that's sort of like the demarcation point for me the watershed point 2009, 2010, 2011, when, you know, it's soccer still very much on the periphery of the, the American mm-hmm. sporting landscape. There's no question about it. But I feel like that was a clear moment in time. Those two, three-year 
stretches, you know, uh, where soccer went from being perceived as something or it was like treated a certain way to, you know, the just a greater level of sophistication I think you see like since 2010, 2011, 2012. And I think that your bar like really dovetails nicely with that and that like, you know, prior to 2011, as we just talked about, um, these types of places were probably fairly hard to come by. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, any number of bars, even if soccer isn't their specialty, you know, they might be opening their, their doors open for an 11 a.m. kickoff. Maybe not the we out, you know, maybe not the 7 a.m. kickoffs right, like right, you guys yeah. do. But um, I just think it's a it's kind of just like an app symbol in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you kind of bring a foreign perspective. Connor is, is from Ireland. Um, I'm curious what you guys think about how the game has grown since you guys arrived, since you guys opened banter. Um, I th- there's definitely definitely more awareness, and I, I think a big part of that, a big kudos goes to NBC for their packaging and everything they put into it. Mm. But that is that's four or five years old now. Is that? I think it was like 2014, 13 or 14 I, was their I, first year. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I honestly thought that that stepped it up, made for sure. it make it a really kind of sexy packaging. Showed all the games. I, th- I thought that that was a great little move, and that I do think that helped. Uh, they also, I think the, the notable thing, not to cut you off, but like the, I, I think that their coverage, um, the nature of their coverage is, is very telling. As you said, like they, there's maybe a little bit of American pandering, you know, they're, yeah. they're catering to an American audience. There's always going to be some heavy emphasis on Pulisic and yeah. all that, but like it's, they approach it with a level of sophistication that I think. You know, a lot of us diehards here in America have been longing for. You, mm-hmm. you compare that to, I'm sorry to pick on them, but, you know, Fox Sports' coverage of the World Cup. It's just this ham-fisted Americanization of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the way they approached the World Cup last summer, like, it just didn't it didn't feel like a soccer I, broadcast, I, you know? I start to tune them out after a while. Right, right. And, I, you know, that's, that's credit to NBC. I don't always tune them out. I sometimes like what they have to say and... And the way they, the, the the stories they do follow and and put forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, and I think that you know just on a more like pragmatic level, even beyond like the, the tenor of their coverage, the fact that they're broadcasting so many games. I mean, that, like that's that's something that we all have been waiting for. I, I was talking to you before we started recording. Like, you know, I can remember in college, ESPN would have one like marquee Premier League match every Saturday or Sunday. It'd be like mm-hmm. one a week, and I think Fox Soccer Channel was still around then, right. uh, which eventually just like dissolved into like Fox Sports Channel. But, yeah, that's what it was. Um, but it was just it was limited. I mean, that was the era of like the the janky illegal streams. You know, we'd be yeah. ringing those up, going to these like Chinese websites, probably oh, giving my computers like all sorts of viruses. I'm sure that like hackers have uh, access to my camera. I'm sure as a result of that. But you know, it was worth it. I had to watch that 8 a.m. kickoff with the Arsenal going to Old Trafford and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Arshavin scoring a goal. That's just a random memory. I'm, I'm pulling out of nowhere. But uh, Arshavin scored a goal besides the he, Hey, man, he got off to a pretty auspicious start. I was, uh, I was an Arshavin fanboy back in the day. I really liked him. I should have worn my Russia national team jersey. Um, you, so you mentioned, like, you know, the, the growth of the coverage or the improvement of the coverage. Like, um, just bring I, I think back. that's part of it. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. But... Um, I think you've seen it firsthand. I mean, this is a proudly neutral bar. I think it's evidence, evidenced by all the, the scarves mm-hmm. you have on the walls, all sorts of teams represented. But 
Was there a moment when, uh, when did this become a, a refuge for supporters clubs? Now I feel like those are like sprouting up left and right. I, I have a friend who just started a Wigan supporters club. They gather here every weekend. Like, I don't remember that back in 2013. I, I think that's been going on for a long time, and we, we, we're still very reluctant to invite anybody over, anybody to be a supporters club here because we don't want to turn off other people. I mean, we, we, our concept definitely from the beginning had always been uh, – very, I mean, very consciously, we want to be open to all. Uh, and that said, at the beginning, we were by far, maybe even 60% of everybody came was, was Arsenal fans. Oh, for sure. I remember that. Um, and, and that even for years. Um, and it just, it's just recent that, that uh, a Spurs supporters club, the Brooklyn Spurs, they, they've been great, but they, they also know that we're in a, we're not their official bar. Right. They come here and that they're more than welcome and invited and we love them. Yeah. They're but good it, people. But I say is, that as an Arsenal supporter. It, it is it is to say that that we never want to be the bar that, that singles out other other teams. Yeah, I mean like that's there is a um a harmonious spirit here. I don't I don't see as much I mean even though the, it's it's etched in the name of your your bar banter, I don't see as much shit talk as you might expect. I, I do like, want to stress that that's that's actually that's not a business decision. That's not in our business best interest. Sometimes, uh, for sure. Yeah, you, I mean, it would we, be better if you were more partisan. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, but that's just not what we want. You know? That's interesting. So, like, you think that if you just went, I mean, you and Connor are both Liverpool fans. If you guys just said this is a Liverpool fan, you planted the the red yeah. flag. This is the the Brooklyn cop that you know, like that. that that's also like it just brings up. I mean, we've been approached since we opened to be official supporters club for for many different teams, but for most of them, stipulated they wanted us to be their bar, and that they wanted you know their team on all the screens, and you know just. So did did like representatives from the club approach you about that, or no, like no, just no. the supporters New, groups? Supporters groups okay. or, or branch outs from some of the Manhattan groups that have outgrown their bars? Right, because there is, it is kind of cool how these clubs work in concert with the actual or the, the supporters groups, I mm-hmm. should say, work in concert with the the clubs themselves. Like you know, my oh, buddy, sure. uh, the Wigan supporters, uh, the the founder of the Wigan supporters club. Uh, you know, he's gotten like some swag from Wigan oh, you yeah. know like they're very they're pumped to have like a Brooklyn I, I, chapter here and I think it's great what he's doing it, it's a lot of fun and it's infectious to see that kind of love for a team but there but there you mentioned like the official designations like they if you go on some of these club sites like Liverpool's and Chelsea like I'm sure they'll have like bars listed oh, on yeah. a certain page mm-hmm. like that's right I think I, I even saw that on um a Tottenham page maybe that but I mean yeah this is the home page or the home home base for for Brooklyn Spurs Borussia Dortmund, great, yeah. great uh, group there. Um, who else? Who else, who are the other uh, supporters clubs here? That come in? Yeah. On official basis? On official I, I basis. Think you, you, you're only bringing up the three there. River Plate, of course. River Plate, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's pretty much limited to those four. Yeah, those, those are the only, like, yeah, the, official, the officially mm-hmm. designated groups. But, you know, this is still... I, I, I know it's not an official Liverpool bar, but I think that they are still your prime constituency. I think they <laughs> edge I think they edge the Spurs fans that, just a little bit. One thing I also know from, from working in soccer bars for 
since 2007 is that ebbs and flows big sure. time depending on who's winning well, as you and said, who's not winning i mean you you mentioned the the early days um which was around the time when i started coming here and i do remember when arsenal fans used to just turn out en masse uh and i think they're running scared from the brooklyn spurs clearly just running between their tails between their legs i think there's some thin skin out there sometimes from all kinds of fans yeah yeah it's people people take it too seriously um but that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's yeah, like, yeah, no, you know, I, it is. it's I, it's cool to see. I think that there, that's... I, I, and I get it, too. I mean, you, you also don't want to watch your team also lose and you have a group of people singing their ass off. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough to take. But uh, I wish I had been here for the, the Tottenham-Newcastle uh, match a few weeks ago. I, um, I could have enjoyed that a little bit more I than the North London Derby a week later. Uh, but I think that, like... That brings up something that I, I think about a lot when it comes to, like, American soccer fans. Um, you do see some, like, condescension from the Brits. You know, how do you – how can you care so much? This isn't your club, you know? Because I think to them it's, like, they think of football as still, even though, like, these, these clubs are becoming, like, massive global entities, um, they still think of them as, like, community clubs, you know? The, mm. the roots are there in the town. And if you didn't – if you didn't grow up in North London, how could you possibly give a shit that yeah. much? What do you make of that? I, I think that's kind of... It's so antiquated. Yeah, and it's also that that, that kind of stance is, is not realistic either. I mean, how many people do you know who, who are grew up somewhere else in England are fans of... They're from the North and they're fans of a London team, you know, or vice versa, or United. They're United fans even though they're from London. Uh, it happens everywhere. But right? it is true, I think, that... You know, I, I think you see it in, in American sports. You know, I'm, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Uh, I still like mm -hmm. the NFL. Uh, that's the team of my dad. You know, I, you, I think there is something more familial, familial about it oh, when you grow I'm, up I'm there, sure. of course. You know, you inherit it, the traditions of your, your father, your grandfather. And I think that's just like a unique aspect of the American soccer experience. And that like so many of us came to the game belatedly. You know, yeah. I didn't really start becoming an obsessive until after my senior year of high school. And like. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it any less. No, that's for sure. No, you put in your dues. You come. You come mm. to these bars uh, when they open at eight a.m. Enough. I think. I think you've earned your. Yeah. You've earned your spurs, for lack of a better term. But, uh, well, Chris, this has been great. Uh, everyone should should turn out to banter. If you're a soccer fan in the New York area, come here. It's uh, it's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, it's a beautiful spot. I, I've got nothing more to say. I could just it's, gush all day. I'm like, I'm like Chris. It's, it's like the Chris Farley show. You're like the Paul McCartney to my Chris Farley here, Chris. I'm just gushing over you. But uh, no, it really is. It's a special place. Um, you know, I just have so many positive memories here. I've made so many great friends here, and I think that's one of the coolest parts of it. Like, you know, Cheers is is the the avatar of this. You know, cultivating a community within a bar. But mm -hmm. I do find that certainly more than any other sport, like soccer just breeds that sort of yeah. affection you know once you have that common denominator with people uh it's special it is best yeah i consider you a friend thanks tom yeah thank you all right <laughs>